So welcome to this week's episode of Mindset Musings with our fantastic guest, Mary Sutherland. Hello. Hi. Wow, that was quite a nice entrance. I've never been called fantastic before. <laughs> <laughs> so the reasoning behind Mary coming on the podcast this week, apart from being a, an amazing human being who's got lots of fantastic achievements, is um, I was sat in my establishment one evening having a few beers and uh, Mary walked in with a mutual friend sat down with us and we got chatting and um i got to know mary and her fantastic achievements so um i thought what better place to uh to bring her on again than to the podcast so um here we all are mary so yeah. from tottenham in north london originally correct yeah and then you've moved down to portsmouth for university yeah i moved down here i'm trying to remember now it feels like such a long time ago um Probably when I was 18, I think, 17 going on 18. And uh, yeah, my brother was at uni here, but back when it was a poly, polytechnic. And uh, my mum managed to persuade me to come to uni. She paid for it. Uh, but of course, university back then, as we were very lucky to know, was free. So she did <laughs> me for that one. Uh, and then I did a degree down here, restoration and architecture. And then the internet ruined my life because <laughs> I had to go and restudy. Because computers weren't around then, so I liked hand drawing things. <clears throat> yeah, went off and, uh, and and had to do another course to uh, supplement, and I ended up doing graphic design and communications. So it'd be fair to say, though, that your greatest achievements so far in life aren't really in graphic design and technical drawing, are they? No. <laughs> no. So for the listeners' benefit, Mary has rowed various great oceans across the globe, the Pacific uh, or leg of the Pacific and the North Atlantic being just two of them. Just tell us a little bit about that, Mary. What's what's the kind of setup? What have you done in terms of, of those challenges? I'll give you a bit of a background story to how I ended up doing this, um, because it wasn't rowing wasn't something that I um, ever thought I'd end up doing. In fact, I'm not even sure I like rowing that much. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, Steve Redgrave used to say that, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. I, I, after each race, he was like, I'm never going in that boat again. Um, <laughs> kind of with him a little bit, yeah. but not not so much that I like. I think my mindset is always like into the challenge. And, and I hate the fact that I don't like doing something. So when I don't like doing something, I kind of want to do it more just so I can... It's really weird reverse psychology that goes on in my head. But when someone turns around and tells me no, straight away, I'm like, well, actually, I think that's a yes. <laughs> <laughs> what can I do to make that happen? I was very lucky. Uh, my dad was a sailor, quite a good one at that. He got us all out on the water as often as we could. And um, so not because my parents are divorced or anything, but because um, we every given wake and day, we got rushed down to a caravan in Essex and spent all our summers out of a caravan um, playing on the water. And as we got a bit older, a chap called Charlie Pitcher, who revolutionised ocean rowing, decided that uh, it was an opportunity for a few of us from Burnham girls to get involved in, in some cool stuff, including ocean rowing. So when he rebuilt these Rannoch boats, he uh, approached me and asked me if I'd trial for this team that needed some experience in ocean um, rowing or, or ocean as it were because I'd crossed the Atlantic already sailing um, a few times before and, and various other oceans I was very lucky but I worked my way through and when I went and did the trials they didn't hate me which was wonderful and they asked me if I wanted to be part of their team so I took my sailing knowledge and and uh, applied it to ocean rowing um, and that's kind of how it all started 
So how, how's it set up then? How many of you in a, in a boat? So on this one, there was on the first one that I did in 2016 um, from New York to Falmouth, UK, there was five of us, which was very cosy. I wouldn't normally choose to row with five, but um, just it worked out. You get a little bit more sleep, which is great. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we got the boat over to New York and rowed past the great Statue of Liberty and, and off we went into the big ocean, open ocean, um, rode across the Titanic, which was pretty cool, over the top of it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and met with some pretty uh, interesting weathers along the way. Um, mm. We experienced everything from um, waves, I've never seen waves like it, that had their own weather systems on the side of them, to short, sharp slappers, which chucked you around all over the place and, and everything in between so yeah was... what we're we talking about in terms of distance then that new york to falmouth leg so the new york to falmouth because obviously um on a straight line um because the earth's curved you can't go in a direct line as it were so we ended up uh, doing a fairly good arch to uh, to get to the uk um, but we had to do quite a bit of weather dodging so in theory it should have only been 2214 nautical miles I think um, and it ended up being 2,572 I think mm. which was um, yeah quite a lot uh, when you're rowing two hours on two hours off for 24 hours a day for 43 days <laughs> 43 days oh, that's, that's Land's End to John O'Groats about four times I think isn't it something like that I think that's about 800 miles so times that by four that's probably the distance you've covered there in 43 yeah. days it's relentless because you have to take on every weather. So you can't just run for the hills or stop rowing or, you know, you have to, well, you, actually you can stop rowing. That's, that's a complete lie. Sometimes you put out something called a power anchor, which um, sort of stems you. If you've got wind and tide against you, that, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to do that, but you, you and your heart is breaking because you know, you're going backwards yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you go row it all again. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty painful, but ultimately really, really tested my character, I think, um, in terms of, of knowing what I know about the oceans and, and what I think there's an angle where people who have never been on an ocean before, there's a slight element of ignorance is bliss. Um, whereas like if you cross an ocean once or you spend a lot of time in one, then you know. And then and then when you know you're going around in circles or you know you're going backwards, but people don't, you sort of do you tell them? No. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> keep that, keep that nugget to yourself. <laughs> so you, you you sort of touched on the rotor there. So with five, how does it work? So you've got two hours on, two hours off. And is it sometimes three of you, sometimes? If you, how many rowing, how many sleeping? How does it just kind of work? Yeah, so um, it's two hours on, two hours off. It does change according to the team, you know. And some days, um, you know, there are days when if people are just in agony or just need a time, like a bit off, then you, you give it to them because they're at rock bottom and making them get on the oars is not where you want to be. But... Yeah you have to make that call. It's very rare that people won't get on the oars. Their mindsets are, are, are there, you know, they're in the ocean, in the element. But we did something called the train, which I absolutely hated. <laughs> but yeah, we had to do it sometimes if we were against current and we needed to power through. Um, so across coming across an ocean, you get swells. of um, So you get the, the normal current that comes through. And then off that, you get these big swells that come off. And if you get caught in one of those, you sort of end up going round it in circles. 
and you can be in it for a long time. And the only way to punch your way out is to literally punch your way out. And um, so that's when you end up doing something called the train, we called it, which is basically, um, I think for me, I did, what was mine? It was usually half an hour row as a warm up. Then I get a three hour row and then I get half an hour break and I'm back on for two and a half hours. Then I got an hour break and then I was back on for two hours and then I was on again. I think it was like an hour and then I would have two hours off and then it, the whole thing would start again. I mean, I probably got that wrong, but it was something like that. And it was it was pretty brutal. But we would do it for as long as we could sustain. And then we just accept that you know we'd punched our way forward a little bit and then we'd have a little break and then we'd have another go and then you know and we just kept doing that until we could get out of that that particular current stream and and then and then just carry on rowing again and you could really feel it on the oars you could feel whether you were in a relaxed current or a strong current based on the way that you all went into the water and how easy it was to pull through because sometimes it was like treacle it was literally like pulling treacle and then other times it was just oh this is so pleasant (laughs) and you you know those those good times were were good times (laughs) how do you deal with the sleep deprivation or disrupted sleep patterns so again, I'm really lucky, me personally, and I'm sure the people out there that have the same experience as I do, but um, if you're a mum <laughs> or dad, <laughs> you're used to these lack of sleeps. But for me, because I spent so many years doing ocean racing, I'm used to the two hours on, two hours off, and sometimes not even getting those kind of sleeps. So I just accept that that's going to happen and that it's not forever and just kind of try to ignore the fact that it's happening <laughs> that's such a thing I'm very good at blocking things out if I need to so how, how's the boat set up then so everyone so, so there's you know there's five possible or four possible people that could be rowing at any one time you just give someone kind of like a time off how, I'm just trying to get my head around yeah so why you'd be doing this for so long without a, yeah. so I'd be looking for any sort of break yeah you could <laughs> so you kind of average day is say you start on your two hour shift so you, you get up usually someone's been nice enough to make you a bit of a breakfast you get woken up sort of 10-15 minutes before you're due on to row so you just shove whatever food you've got just to get yourself through those two hours and then we've only got on a 24 foot boat I think it is we've got three rowing seats and then one driving seat so depending on the types of boats that you have you would have something called an autopilot which is an autopilot it drives your boat for you but sometimes depending on the waves you can't have an autopilot you have to drive the boat yourself Mm -hmm. so you'd have at any given point you'd have uh, the max amount of people on the boat would be one person driving and then um three people rowing because there's three seats uh if if you're on a r45 which is what we were on Obviously, there's smaller boats out there and there's a new one now that's got 12 people on it, which is insane. But, yeah, you, you would normally have uh, two people rowing and one person steering or just two people rowing. And then you'd where we had five, we'd, you'd row two hours on, two hours off. And I think it was like every certain amount of days you get an extra hour's sleep, which I know only sounds like an extra hour, but it meant so much to have that extra bit of time to just or shift where you could just do whatever you wanted to do. You didn't have to row because there was that extra person that was filling in. So it worked really well for us. Yeah, a bit of respite, but you get used to it. You really do get used to it. It's it's 
it's surprising. I mean, you ask any parent, <laughs> like, you know, how they cope after nine months of doing it, and then they go and have another child <laughs> and then go back and do it again. You'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm only doing mine for 47 days <laughs> in total. The lad, the, the record was 43 days, but the actual distance of time that we rode was 47 days, I think. You just get used to it, and the pain subsides a little bit and you just you know you punch for another barrier and then you get a bit of time where you just don't feel the pain anymore and then you punch for another barrier and then the pain goes away and it just it just keeps doing that and you know that what you've got to do is get through that first bit of pain and then and then it's fine <laughs> so you know how much food and water i mean you'd have to obviously store this stuff yeah. evenly in the boat is, is that so so i presume there's no way of I mean, I presume there might be a way of capturing rainwater, but you, you, but you want five people's water intake for 43 days on the boat, don't you, when you set out sort of thing? Yeah, so for eating, somebody will give you freeze-dried food, which is always what most, boot, but most boats can carry. They're just simply freeze-dried packets of food, and then you just add hot water. So we had something on the boat called a jet ball, which is a really speedy way of boiling water. Um, and these tiny little gas canisters, they little camping stays effectively. Um, and we just add hot water to the food and rehydrate it. Um, I was living on things like biltong. I was living on high proteins, nuts, that kind of stuff for me. I tried to cut sugar out because it was not ideal for my mindset up and down and all that kind of stuff. I have sugars that were in my food, not necessarily bars of chocolate, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, yeah. But then making the water we had something called a water maker on board which um is a high pressure system that pushes seawater through a filter effectively that mm. cleans the water that gives you drinkable water so that's how we get our sort of water, drinking water and then you know we've carry spare parts for it if it breaks down that kind of stuff so we'll fix it if it, need, if it needs it but it's usually something like with microplastics or something we've scooped up in the filter that we just need to change it which is great in terms of being able to fix it rather than the microplastics but um yeah, so do that. And then obviously, the, I guess the cleaning and the toilet sort of side of things is a, is a whole different ball again. You, uh, yeah, there's no holes barred there. You've just got to get over it. <laughs> it's, I suppose uh, all, all five of you are getting pretty familiar with yourselves, are you? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, let's be clear. No one really wants to watch someone taking a shit in a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> no, true. <laughs> you know, true, true. I think you get over it pretty quickly and, you know, you become nose blind to yourself after a while and, and others. And that has such, become such an innate part of the whole journey that, it, that it's really irrelevant. Also, what happens if, God forbid, you get a, a medical emergency? What's your sort of procedures for that if you're like literally smack bang in the middle of the Atlantic? Well, I mean, realistically, the, the most kind of, yeah, I guess there's all sorts of injuries that you can achieve. You know, you sort of you slip over and, and smack your head or drowning's another one. Um, you know, a knife if uh, accidentally you cut yourself doing some sort of job. Um, but we have a really, really excellent first aid gear on board. Head injuries, obviously, you know, that's 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 an immediate kind of call for help. <laughs> um, you know, call the nearest tanker or whatever to come and get us, you know, or, or we dial home and, and we have a medical person that we can speak to and just sort of say, look, you know, these are the this is where we're at. This is this is what's going on. Is there anything we can do or is it worth just waiting? And then they'll make an assessment and sort of say, OK, there's a high chance I've probably only got concussion. But, you know, if they're not showing any responsive signs within a certain amount of time, then bigger fish have to be dealt with. But realistically, I think when it comes to head injuries and spinal injuries, it's a, it's a no go for me. That's straight away call for help. Um, nearest tanker on board, splinter board and up they go and nearest hospital or evac. 
things like that. Um, so, you, so you've never had to remove anyone's appendix or anything like that? No, no. <laughs> I have been on a few sailing adventures. Yeah, <laughs> things like that have come into play. Oh, um, really? Really? Yeah. One guy, um, he, uh, what was it? He had a problem with his urethra and one of the guys had to put a uh, tube down to release. He couldn't pee and there was a blockage going on and uh, yeah. That was. Sounds like me in a crowded pub toilet. Yeah. I just uh, not not for me. I like a nice cubicle. <laughs> did you hear about? Then. Did you hear no. about that story? I, I can't remember. I think he was a Danish fellow, maybe or something. Um, researcher, scientist down in Antarctica, and he removed his own uh, appendix. Yeah. I mean, I've had I've had my appendix removed, thankfully under general anaesthetic by a surgeon. Can you imagine the pain of that? That must just be God. I imagine that he numbed it. <laughs> well, yeah, but even still, you know, yeah. you've got to keep your Box head up. a couple of headaches. <laughs> <laughs> now, as you know, I'm from the recruitment industry and we wanted to give a quick shout out to contractor payroll specialists Workwell, our founding partners here on the Mindset Musings podcast. Their ongoing enthusiasm to this show since its launch demonstrates their commitment to supporting their agency partners, both with their growth um, and sharing expertise across the industry to raise recruitment standards nationwide. Workwell provide a huge range of outsourced payroll solutions to recruitment agencies and contractors to take away the pressures of managing their financial requirements. Now, that's whether the contractor wishes to work via limited company, umbrella, PAYE, or solutions like PEO, and that's either in the UK or now internationally as well. Their knowledge and passion for evolving the future of recruitment really does run deep, and this is evident in their consistent development of cutting-edge services, including compliance and back-office solutions. Now, you can find them by visiting workwellsolutions.com or at Workwell across any social media platform. Right, let's get back to it. So what's it like... We'll get on to the kind of mindset challenges and stuff in a minute. What, what's that feeling like when you finally see land? So you've got Cornwall is in the distance. Tell us about that. I am a bit of a weird anomaly on that one because I don't ever get excited about seeing land until a couple of days after I finish a challenge or an event. I don't know why. I haven't figured it out yet. I am always very happy to see land, but I don't, you know, people start jumping up and down and getting really excited and screaming. And and I just don't get that. I'm sort of like, oh, cool. We're here. All right, next. And and then I'm like, until we get the boat settled down and until, you know, I just don't allow myself to kind of breathe, I guess, until everything's just calmed down. Um, And then I usually remove myself from a situation and then I start having that elated feeling of oh my god we did it yeah we did that and and it's a really bizarre feeling I don't know why I do it I can't figure it out I don't know whether it's sort of because I actually if I get too excited so I'm probably going to fall off the boat or do <laughs> something <laughs> I just very 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 controlled in 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 the finishing and seeing the land um, or I just believe that anything can go wrong between that point and hitting the dock or you know so I just don't I don't allow myself to get too excited about it and then also as soon as I hit land I'm like right now what because <laughs> you've been doing that challenge for x amount of sort of 30 plus 40 plus days and yeah. you don't know what else to do you can't just suddenly stop it's like oh well um 
what, what, what do you mean I don't have to do anything and I don't have to get up every two hours and I don't have to, no, this isn't right. I've been doing this for too long. I need something else to do. So I usually end up going sailing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously talking of things going wrong, what's, you know, have you ever capsized? Have people ended up in the water? Maybe not the Atlantic, but maybe in the Pacific. Have you encountered any, you know, interest in wildlife? What's the sort of scariest moment you've had? Well, what's really scary is that we hardly saw any wildlife at all in the Pacific. And that is really scary. Bella saw what she thinks is a killer whale or something. But I don't think I didn't see it. So I can't qualify that. But, you know, she saw it and then she saw it. But that at the beginning, so we possibly saw some dolphins or whatever, but we saw nothing on the way over. You know, there was a, I think there was a dead baby octopus attached to the side of the boat after one storm and, you know, some flying fish or whatever, but that was it. Like there really wasn't any wildlife and it was really scary that that was, was the case. Plenty of birds though, which is quite nice, <laughs> but it's not really what you want to go and see when you go across the nation. You want to see like, you know, these big whales and sharks and various different fish coming around but yeah we we didn't see much at all i think we saw some dolphins at the end of the row and um, coming literally up to the finish line you mentioned seeing an orca there is that you've got to be careful when you see them especially in a small boat like yourself can they turn it over well yeah so in the row i did in 2016 we did have some pretty big whales come and play around by the side of us and me being me went into safety mode and basically just said those that are in their cabin lock the doors immediately unless you're coming out in which case clip on and lock the doors but of course everyone was a bit too excited so I was getting a bit bit kind of angry because these whales are very very large and they do like to come up and nudge the boat and a gentle nudge to them is is a flip to us and the last thing you want is your doors open because you're getting your cameras out and getting all excited about seeing these whales and and next thing you know you're in the water with a sinking ship so Mm. for me it's it's very much a Look, enjoy but get out and lock the doors immediately and you can't go back in until we know they've gone away so but yeah you've had there's stories of um it hasn't happened to me but there's stories of marlin coming up through the bottom of the boats been happening more and more recently but on my rows have been really lucky um we did get rolled on the first row but we were all in our cabins and it happened so quickly and we righted really quickly that nobody really understood that that was a row a roll whereas on the second row Unfortunately, me and Bella were, were the ones that took most of the hit. So we were powerhousing through this one particular wave set. And it was brilliant. We were getting some pretty good speeds. And I'd say good speeds. We were getting up to like 15 to 18 knots down some of these waves. It was really quite fun. But we might have pushed it a little bit too far. And at one point, I got swept off the side of the boat. Managed to pull my... I was attached. So, you know, I was okay. But managed to get myself back in and at which point um I looked around and Bella was literally upside down <laughs> and her shoe was on top of the jet ball <laughs> we got absolutely slammed and and rolled over and things but you know and then about an hour and a half to two hours later I think on the second shift we came back out and we did it again I think Bella politely turned around and said Mary no <laughs> so, okay, fine. slow down a little bit and just you know wait for these wave sets to, to calm um, I think because we were so close to the other team, I just wanted to go and catch them. So um, I was pushing quite hard to to get that speed up. Um, but it actually, to the detriment of damaging ourselves, it wasn't worth the, the risk. Other than that, I've not really had any 
kind of major issues. I can't decide if that's because we were lucky or whether or not we just managed ourselves really well um, in the different environments that we were in. So I guess that's down to, we'll put it down to luck. (laughs) (laughs) May that continue for you. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Do you kind of manage disputes? Do you have arguments um, in such close, how how do you sort of talk those through or, you know, there's there's, there's not really places that you can escape to and slam the door, I suppose. How, How do you sort of manage arguments? For me, in my own way, I just go really quiet. I just, I won't engage. There's not really too much point to it unless somebody comes to me with a, a proper question and it's and it's given to me in, in the right way, I won't engage because if someone's looking to shout at me, it's just because they want me to engage back with them. And that's not something that you want to escalate. So I just go really quiet and I just focus on, you know, whatever podcast I'm listening to or whatever film like you know that kind of thing and and I just focus on that and I work through my issue in my head because until I'm sensible and calm enough to be able to turn around and explain why I'm doing something or what's going on in my head I don't want to just expel it out because I'm i all my years at sea I've seen people you know escalate arguments very quickly and it's not something that you want to do so I guess I'm very well versed in in sort of stressful environments anyway so for me that's usually what happens I go quiet but to be honest most and this I'm going to get shot for saying this I'm well aware but most girls that I've rode with or done those kind of things they tend to get to a point and they just they their release is to cry and that's fine because that's their outlet of of dealing with it and once you once you get to the crux of you know, whatever emotion they're letting out at that time, then they calm down and then they tell you what the problem is. And you're like, right, it's just basically because you're aching and you're tired. (laughs) And that's normally the only real reasons as to why anybody on these rowboats are trying to stress out and having a bad time, you know, any issues on the boat. There there are occasionally issues over minute stuff, like the tiniest little things on a boat can be the biggest issues. Like someone that you kinder egg. Yeah, right. <laughs> somebody, somebody can eat your Kinder Egg, or um, somebody accidentally lost someone's favourite sock over the side of the boat, or whatever it is, you know. And I think if you're unlucky enough to be stuck in a situation where you're you've got a person on board that is constantly having those problems with people, you have to then take the time out to sit down and figure out how to to manage that conflict but it's not necessarily conflict it's just it's just that they're just tired and they're not really thinking along the logical lines of you know okay I ate your easter egg but you know there's always something that I can give you in return to say sorry it's it's understandable that that heightened emotions though because if you strip it down to a kind of basic human level like a primeval level you're you're essentially in survival mode aren't you for 43 days straight yeah let's face it you are you know you're senses are heightened you've got extreme weather to deal with uncertainty all that sort of stuff so yeah you know you've got to have a really strong frame of mind to do that and I suppose do you have kind of like team talks you know before you before you go yeah usually I um I'm really bad at those I'll be honest even though you know skipping boats for years or whatever I I let the team if they if the team decide that they want to have a constructive meeting at the end of you know conflab at the end of every day or whatever, I'm ter- perfectly happy to to join in. But I don't personally require that. Um, I like to deal with the situation immediately there and then. If if it, nip it in the bud early, 
but some teams really do want to have a, a, a constructive kind of meet at the end of every day and, and stuff and that, and that works too I think it very much depends on the structure of your of your team and how how you want to manage that but these are all conversations that you have before you even go to see and it's so important to work out what your sort of motivations are before you go to see and and pre-plan sort of these kind of scenarios that's why I encourage everybody to if you know if you drink to go out and get absolutely beluga together because you know signs and traits will come out in people once they relax um and go off and do challenges together that aren't anything to do with ocean rowing because you'll suddenly start noticing and looking for the reasons that probably will rub you up the wrong way or people that you bond with more you know that kind of stuff and it helps prep for that I think uh, for when you go when you go into a nation in those kind of stressful environments so but yeah we had we did have team conf labs on the last one but not not so many p for instance was a mum and she really missed her kids um you know and i think the challenge for her was the biggest challenge she's ever done in her life and and i think that that for her was a reason for her you know having sort of little tears every now and then and bella was the same um you know i was getting stressed out one night and you know everyone has their own little kind of like modes as to as to what what sort of motivates them uh, to to have a little emotional <laughs> moments as it were and and that's okay I think people need to be all right with, with having those those moments but it's about um supporting your team members and about providing that platform for people to be able to have a little little bitch or a cry or whatever it is they want to do and and so you can move forward and move on if you start burying it down then it doesn't really work you just it just ends up coming back twofold how do you consciously or maybe even subconsciously how do you build resilience and perseverance is it something that you've always had or is it something that maybe a teammate might have worked on before they obviously even get on the boat i think human nature we're actually naturally good at resi- we all draw ourselves towards our natural resilience space so for me i guess because i've always been brought up on the sea or doing challenges or sporty whatever you want to call it I guess I put myself in positions of stress early on. You know, I started doing some fairly stupid snowboarding in Canada when I was sort of around 17, 18 and got myself into all sorts of perils. And so I had to kind of figure out how I was going to get out of this. And there were a couple of times when I wasn't sure if I was going to. Sailing's the same when I've been physically and mentally exhausted um, and I've still got to get the boat back. Down to just the small things, you know, it's really relevant to the person and what, what their challenge is. For one person, it could just be the fact that they've got to go and do a 10K versus somebody who, um, you know, who just wants to go, I don't know, paragliding or something, which, to be perfectly honest, scares the hell out of me. Um, so... I think resilience is is really relevant to the person and I think it's really relevant to uh, individual challenges. But the only way you really get resilience is by putting yourself in those positions and and just challenging yourself to do it. And the more you challenge yourself, the more resilient you become. Um, And so if you're not used to challenging yourself then yeah you might get lucky and you might be that one person it's like yeah it's not a problem and they did it and then and then you never do it again because you're you've got that achievement and that self-goal but if you're not one of those people I think everybody has an ability to be resilient it just it depends on it's like I believe everyone can row an ocean to be perfectly honest I generally do it's whether or not a they want they've got to want to do it (laughs) yeah yeah 
You've got to want to be resilient. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice. Um, and then challenges in your everyday life, your careers, things away from rowing. If you've if you've rowed uh, across the Pacific Ocean, do you honestly walk down the street and just think, "Oh, I can I can achieve anything"? Do you, have you got that self belief that you can carry and and do anything and achieve anything if you've been if you've been able to do that? No. <laughs> I want to I want to be that person I almost want to have a little cape and be walking down the street going yeah come on <laughs> um, but I think a I would be really bored if I thought that way I'd be really naive if I thought that way but I like the idea that there's things out there that I haven't done yet that you know are going to be really hard for me to do and initially my reaction would be hell no I know I'm, I, I always start with hell yeah and then I go oh god and then I'm like what the hell have I done and then I'm like how can I go and do that Mm -hmm. do I really want to do that and you know all the questions that come come with those sort of challenges no I definitely don't walk down the street thinking I can do anything I think that would be really arrogant of me to to have that opinion of myself (laughs) to be perfectly honest but I do like a challenge and I'm, I'm quite happy at failing I think that's a really important you know I've failed in so many things in my life um but I've managed to go and achieve in other areas to make myself feel better about it (laughs) (laughs) and I'm okay with that (laughs) I was going to say obviously you mentioned that you don't feel like you can achieve anything but you you do hold three world records don't you um you know what what does that feel like to have done not just one thing that you know possibly no other human has but three yeah what does that feel like and what are they and what are they (laughs) Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. One, one, one could be, uh, you know, Probably. fastest ever crossword or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dyslexic, so no. <laughs> <laughs> I am really annoyed, actually, because uh, I want to have a certificate for any of my world records that I have, but unfortunately, I don't have one of them. Uh, and this is because I have managed to upset the one lady who's in charge of the ocean rowing. Oh. Guinness oh. Book of Records certificate. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you lost them overboard. How to make her happy again. <laughs> so when I I was all when I found out that we got these records, I was all very excited um, about the fact that we got them. And I contacted this lady that shall not be named. And I said to her, hi, we've submitted our Guinness Book of Records challenge and I'd really, really like a copy of my certificate. I want to put it in my bathroom where everyone can see it. And she got really angry with me because I wanted to put it in my bathroom. (laughs) And I got this massive email back telling me that that was really insulting to the Guinness Book of Records for um, wanting to put it in your toilet and all this kind of stuff. And I actually was like, but that's the best place to put it because, you know, when everyone goes and does their business, they're going to read the wall. And, you know, that's quite cool. And, you know, it's not on big show in 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 a lounge or anywhere like that it's just it's a nice spot I my I come from a family where everyone used to put stuff in toilets doing records <laughs> um you know running events whatever so that's just where my mind works and so I got really annoyed that I got told I couldn't put my certificate in a bathroom so I then joined in this conversation with her to say that actually it's my record and I should be able to put it wherever I want to but I still haven't got my certificate right. so uh it's okay can I just say, I think I think she's in the wrong there. I think she's in the wrong too. But... I, and it, it's your world record. <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah, it's a bit annoying, really. 
Um, Good luck with that, getting that. (laughs) (laughs) And if I had them on my wall, I would be able to give you the exact wording of the world records that I hold. Um, But I will will give it a go because somebody out here will listen to this and and turn around and correct me on my wording. So I apologise. But we are the only British female team to have ever rode the north, west to east ocean row in the North Atlantic. We're the fastest 24 hours to have done as well. So we did all right. Yeah. Yeah, very okay? well done very well done <laughs> and then in the pacific we were the fastest female overall to have ever rode the um pacific from san francisco to hawaii um we beat the previous record of the women's record by 15 days but we beat the men's by five yeah really? wow. <laughs> amazing but we didn't get the overall record which is a wonderful in one respect and sad in another because um the guys that we were racing against the machines that were beat us by three days so they got the overall record but what's really nice about it is that um bella collins who uh, was a little legend on our boat she uh, had a brother who was on the other boat <laughs> so, oh nice <laughs> yeah it's really nice and um, the collins family angus collins is is quite a famous um ocean rower he's done many many um, extraordinary things so yeah he was on that boat so you know Amazing. I doffed my cat to him. It was cool, but it was <laughs> Congra- congrats on your on your three though. That's amazing work. Did he get a certificate though? Yeah. No, <laughs> haven't got one. I'm hoping we've uh, we've got a very good organised girl on the boat called P, who uh, who I think is on the case for getting the record. But I, I believe they only issue one certificate per per team, so I suspect that I probably won't get a certificate, even though. That's right, just just photocopy <laughs> it. It's only ten p. <laughs> I think I might. I might glitter <laughs> mine up and put loads of like shiny stuff on it. <laughs> I just got two two last questions because we are we are running out of time. Um, oh, I talk a lot. No, that's fine. That's what that's what you're here for. My first one of the two questions would be: I've been lucky enough to spend some time out on the water. No, nothing like what you've done. I'm pleasure boating, but you get those times where the weather's nice and calm, the tide is nice and calm, and it's a very uh, sort of serene, calming reflective time let's say where you can kind of collect your own thoughts and stuff have you had those sort of moments when you've been out in the you know mid-atlantic or in the pacific where you're kind of at peace with the situation i've had i think i haven't had moments of clarity i'm sure people have but for me i don't really have moments of clarity per se because you're only on this two hours on two hours off you've only got time to literally get off the oars clean your teeth give yourself a bit of a wet wipe get some food in you get into bed do any admin or whatever you need to do and then you've got to by the time you've done that you've got like probably an hour and a half and then you've got to get up and you've got to do it all again I guess there's been moments where I've really appreciated you know a flat sea and a beautiful sky and and looked at the stars reflecting in the ocean which um, is truly beautiful and I've also really appreciated mother nature at its best you know big roaring waves and and stuff and actually I prefer those because it's you know it's just it's just amazing but I usually, again, have those kind of moments after I've done the rows and I keep having them in like little waves going after after the event. I'll just be, like, you know, in the car in traffic, doing what everyone else is doing, trying to get somewhere, or, um, you know, cycling somewhere or just walking my dog down on the seafront. And uh, and then I'll just be like, something will just pop in my head and I'll be like, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that, is, that, that, that is cool. I've got a huge, well, huge respect for yourself and, and what you and your team do, but... I also, I've always been a huge admirer of um, the guys that do like the Vendée Globe. You know, they race around the world completely on their own around the whole 
world. And I just think what sort of a kind of mental fortitude and you need to, to be able to achieve something like that. It's just, it's, you know, other than kind of Neil Armstrong walking on the moon, it's only, that's the only thing that sort of tops it for me in terms of adventure, I think. A lot of my mates have asked me if I'm going to go and do some sort of solo stuff, be it sailing or, or rowing. And the answer is no, <laughs> it's not for me. If I had to do it, if someone turned around and said, here's a boat and you've got to do this, just, and I'd be like, all right, fine, I'm not happy about it, but I'm going to do it. And I'd probably enjoy it, I think. But to choose to go and do something like that, I think, takes an exponential amount of insurance about yourself and, and knowing who you are. And I quite like the fact that I don't know everything about me. I don't know. And I think that's why I'd never really make that good a solo person. Whereas um, I do a lot of double-handed sailing and ocean crossings and things like that. So... I'm quite happy in that space because you're kind of solo 50% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> someone, like before I start seeing little green men dancing on the bow, there's always someone that comes <laughs> <up>. <laughs> <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> And, you know, you do go through those, those modes. I'm sure that if you get an opportunity to talk to those solo people, they'll probably tell you that they have those kind of moments in themselves, but, and they probably enjoy it. But for me, nah, I'm, I'm a team kind of girl, really. And hopefully I'll stay that way. But yeah, if someone puts a challenge in front of me, yeah, bring them on. <laughs> so that, that, that leads very nicely into my final question. You've rode the North Atlantic, you've rode the Pacific, you've taken part in countless sail, sail races. What is next mm. that, you can, that you can tell us anyway? <laughs> I was having a lovely chat with um, a couple of guys about the Arctic, but due to current political stances, as we're all aware of, it's sort of, not sure if it's a very sensible idea at the moment if all stars align and I'm physically fit and ready to go then I would love the opportunity to to go and row the Arctic uh, the Northwest Passage but at the moment I've just put it on the back burner and I'm just open to opportunity of people that want to go and do stuff and I'm usually pretty keen but um yeah the moment I'm just I've just settled back down into my job and I've you know got my dog back and I'm back into the lovely South Sea and uh, there's some really good racing going on this year so I think I'm probably going to just hang out for a bit here and just see what happens <laughs> I yeah. think that's a contract is it gives me that freedom to be able to suddenly just go and do these challenges but yeah I, uh, that's where I'm at at the moment so if anyone's got any ideas that you want to run past me by all means get in touch <laughs> give us a shout we are very sadly out of time but mary thank you so much for joining us for this chat on the podcast this week good luck with your next adventure whatever it might be thanks very much great to meet you guys cheers see you soon so that was a uh, great chat with mary there not your average person let's say rowing across (laughs) oceans mate unbelievable to be honest so much mindset stuff in there and so much sort of transferable to you know, everyday life. And as we always talk in an entrepreneurial sense, you know, um, if you see the word entrepreneur, you just read the word resilience. And I think it always comes down to resilience um, and perseverance and just keeping going. And I don't suppose they've got much of a choice in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Yes, they can call equivalent of a Coast Guard or something if something went wrong, but they've got no choice but to keep going. You know, it's just the daily relentlessness that must really, you know, when you're three or four days into a 50 day trip, I mean, she didn't actually tell us how long it took to uh, row across the Pacific. I know it was 43 days across the Atlantic. 
if you're three or four days into that and it's and it's tough imagine what's going through your mind <laughs> especially if you've got kids at home or you or there's a family member unwell and or, or something you know and you've got to keep going and you're the other side of the world with 60 foot waves it must be mad yeah i think that you know let's face it some of these storms they can last for days can't they yeah um and you're not in a big boat it's a pretty small boat so yeah i can't even begin to imagine <clears throat> what that must be like but as you mentioned sort of gets some kind of thrill out of it i suppose you have to really to be able to take on challenges like that yeah yeah but yeah fascinating and as we sort of touched on with her you're in a very small confined space with a small number of people so uh, i think you asked her, didn't you it's very easy to maybe have clashes of mm. opinions or personalities even or as she quite rightly pointed out it's quite emotionally charged at certain points which again is very understandable so to be dealing with all those sorts of things well, let's face it, it's enough to put 99.9% of people off stepping onto the boat in the first place, I imagine. I mean, it would do for me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, so I suppose maybe they're not not ignorance. That's not the, the right way of saying it because they're, they're highly trained, skillful athletes, these girls. They obviously need to know what to do in emergencies. But I kind of get the point she was making about ignorance is bliss. Because if you were to overthink it, that is that is your first hurdle to stepping on that boat, I suppose. Whereas if you kind of, you know your emergency procedures, you know your game plan, but you don't think, oh my God, I've got 43 days of swells and 50 foot waves, because that probably will just set your mind off in the wrong direction, I suppose. I think it was an interesting point you made about, do we reveal to the more novice crew members that are actually going around in circles, and she said, no, we don't. And I think that's that's such a great lesson. I mean, I know we've got, you know, we've got a team of 85 at our company. Um, and really the last 30 people we've taken on have got no experience whatsoever. And we and that's really the way that we'll do things from here on in. But we can see the equivalent um happening in their young career. You know, they're doing the right things day by day by day, but you can see something coming up over the horizon um, that's going to put them back, but you just let it happen because it builds character. You can see a mistake coming. I personally don't mention it and they get bitten and they don't make those mistakes again. But if people are doing the right things and they're in the right process, they're going around in circles slightly. You know that by carrying on doing what they're doing, they're going to get there eventually. Or do you tell them that they've plateaued slightly and then they start to deviate from what is a well-worn process? You know, and I think it was key, you know, that there's nothing that these the more novice crew members can do other than keep rowing in the direction they've been told and keep putting that effort in relentlessly. Whether they're going around in circles or not, they're not going to change what they're doing. They can't. And I think that was a really good uh, analogy. You know, even sports teams, you know, you hear managers come in front of the camera and go, we did all the right things today. We just didn't get the rub of the green. And it's like, yeah, we, we've all been to watch our favourite football team or our national team you know, play really well and just not get the result. Does that mean that you tear up what you're doing? No, it doesn't. You just mean you go out there and, 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 you, and you do it again. And I think I think that was a real key lesson there. Yeah. And uh, the one thing I found it interesting um, to speak to her about was the, um, the sleep deprivation and the, and the disrupted sleep patterns because mm. you and I both got young children, as of many people that listen to this podcast also. And uh, you know how brutal that can be. <laughs> yeah, um, but she, you know, had vast experience 
beforehand in terms of you know sailing races and, and skippering boats and stuff so she learned from a young age I suppose and, and learnt those skills um, and she said about when she was snowboarding didn't she she got herself in a couple of uh, sticky situations so um, seems like she's set herself up with um, some decent skills to be able to do things like this but um, you are right you know it's there's a lot of kind of metaphorical references you can take from rowing across a, the ocean I suppose into your own sort of challenges in whether you're doing sport other sporting achievements or or in fact business oh mate it's very very transferable and you know i've just i've got a huge amount of admiration because i was actually having this argument with someone um at work the other day who said uh, an iron man is the toughest thing you can do physically and i suggested that maybe doing an hour's workout every day for a hundred days um was tougher not physically tougher because you're only working out one out of 23 uh, and then you get 23 hours rest, but it's the relentless. If you do an Ironman once, yes, you're going to, there's going to be times you want to quit during the Ironman. And you have to fight through those three times that you're going to quit that day, but there's a hundred excuse. There's a hundred excuses for a hundred gym sessions. I mean, it's that relentlessness that it really is difficult for the human brain to calculate and i think if we all just look at each day as an individual chance to move things forward and then the next day and then the day after that's how big things are built it's small micro actions each day and and, and i think rowing relentlessly um in you know quite often going around in circles it was just it was almost perfect analogy for that do you think with sort of everyday life as we live our lives stuff like going to the gym or keeping up with habits do you think it's easy for us to fall out of habits and to break habits because distraction and just the route out of it is too easy so if you're rowing a boat across an ocean you don't really have any option other than to keep rowing yeah as we said it's almost a kind of primeval thing it's a survival thing whereas you can uh, have a commitment to stick to a gym plan or whatever and you come home you're a bit tired you think, oh, you know, some football on the telly tonight or, you know, the yep. series on Netflix I want to watch. Is the modern world that we live in, the digital world, which we've spoken about lots, are there too many distractions or is people's kind of resilience and willpower not strong enough? It's nowhere near strong enough these days. I think it's, I think we are soft. I think we're getting softer, um, to be honest. I work on my resilience. I work on my mental toughness. I'm by no means what I want to be in terms of the finished article of, of completely and utterly bulletproof resilient. But, you know, you are right. It's when the human brain gets an, an option. We've been our generation, um, and we've talked about it before, and certainly our generation, and certainly this, you know, the next generation, um, haven't had many challenges. And therefore... If you haven't had many challenges, you haven't had many things to overcome, and therefore the easy option is is the option that's naturally selected. I think when we started our business, we had absolutely no other option um, but to keep going. You know, we only had ten grand to start with, and we were, you know, we were in a pretty pretty poor environment to to kick things off, and things were very very tough. And we, you know, I personally put 20, 20, 20 grand on a credit card to live that year including a mortgage stuff like that you're actually you know i've got um you know one of my coaches talks about zero options mentality 
Yeah, when you've got zero options, there are no other. You've got no choice, mm. and you and you use a bit of naivety to get in too deep. Once you're in deep, you have to um, pull yourself out. If there's a chance where you think, Do you know what, um, I could probably swerve this, or or there's a, you know there's a nice easy way out. Who's to say I wouldn't have taken it? You know, I probably would back then. I'm more mentally tough now than I've ever been, but. Um, I like it, you know, <laughs> when you get more comfortable, that's when the real challenges come. I was you know? uh, lis- listening to something the other day on that very subject. I think it was Marvin Hagler, the boxer, said it's um, it's very hard to get up and go for a run at 5am when you're wearing silk pyjamas. Yeah, mate, exactly that. <laughs> exactly that. That is so very true. We we do get we do get people ask us, why the, you know, they, they look at you as if to say... We, you're mad we, we go to the art five days a week religiously bang 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 you know sometimes you know sometimes come back and crack on again at 11 o'clock at night when the kids are in bed um and you see you think why do i do this because i don't actually have to anymore and you think well if i don't then it becomes bad habit if it becomes bad habit it spreads to the rest of my team if it spreads to the rest of the team the department the company and therefore it's about doing the right thing leading from the front but also knowing that for me, it only takes one little slip up to 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 break what is can be a hundred day a hundred eighty day habit streak, and and my brain quite often works. I then literally cannot even think about doing that thing again for about two weeks, and you think, well, I've just been doing it for hundred eighty days, no problem, and 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 you know, in the past, seven hundred day habit streaks is I've I've done these before you miss something you're ill blah blah and you can't do it again for three months and you think what is going on (laughs) it is it's it's really strange how it works really strange it Um, is i I just um i just really quickly i've made a a new year goal to myself to learn french this year i've got the uh, app duolingo there are other apps available i use i use duolingo and it you know sets your various challenges and you're in leagues and I've moted through. I've not missed a single day since 1st of January. And I'm yep. finally, just this week, I've got into the top league, which is called the Diamond League. Nice. And that, that was my goal. And now I'm in there. I'm in the relegation zone because I'm like, I'm still doing my daily French. But yeah. whereas I was do, uh, committed to an hour every day, I'm just doing my five minutes just to make sure that I keep my streak up. And then yes, yes. it's that kind of mindset. Like, yeah, I'm think- almost annoyed with myself, but... Yeah. It's because I've hit that target, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think my dad's doing the Italian one. I don't know if it's that app or what, but he's on like 900,000 days now. He, you know, and he, he's he's had some challenges recently where he's carried, you know, he's, he's doing it. He's carried on doing it, whereas anyone else would probably just fucking let it slide a few <laughs> days, you know what I mean? Those things can be nicely addictive um, because, you know, some addictions have actually got some great, they've actually got some great results. I like a bit of OCD. I like to build up some momentum and think, right, well, I'm 16 days into this now. Um, and I use a bit of my, I use a bit of OCD to carry it through. But it's the same OCD that won't allow me to even think about doing it for two months again, if <laughs> yes, I break the habit. Yeah. And it's, it. you know, I think, I think general consistency um, and general improvement is always better than perfection. But, you know, it is. But and it is hard. It is hard. It's it is not, hard. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. So don't don't beat yourself up too much, but beat no. yourself up enough so you don't break the habit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, and as we said, those women in the middle of the ocean, they have no choice. And when you've got no choice in business or, or a career, you can move mountains, to be honest. 